Hi, this is Marion Nessel. I'm the Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition Food Studies and Public Health at New York University and a longtime fan of Heritage Radio. Like Marion, you too can support Heritage Radio Network, a member-based nonprofit radio station operating out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been on it countless times. I love being interviewed. The interviewers are always really well prepared and fun to talk to about the issues that matter to me the most, uh, about how we can change our food system to one that's healthier for people and the environment. It's just invaluable to have an independent radio station that's dealing with these issues. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful asset. Support Heritage Radio Network by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Chef Story. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today we're broadcasting from the International Culinary Center in Soho, New York. And I am very happy, I am always happy to welcome back a tremendous grad of ours. And today we have one who's come in from Washington, D.C., and I think we have a, a very unique show lined up for us today. Ed Harvey, Hardy, sorry, Ed Hardy, who is a graduate of culinary from 07, um, is uh, from Washington, D.C., and he's the king of the food trucks down there right now. But more importantly, he's been um, named one of the top 10 D.C. chefs to watch in 2016. So I'm going to watch him through this whole uh, interview. But um, he's a native of Virginia, so that's nice for your uh, home roots. And uh, But he's He's got a, a great background, um, nothing less than working with Marcus Samuelson, and he also worked with the Ho- Union Square Hospitality Group here in New York, uh, but then went back to um, D.C., was named the executive chef of Bon Vivant, and then went to Quench in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, he then got into his food trucks, which we'll get into, Bacon and Ed's, in um, 2014, like that in I like that name. Anyway, welcome, Ed. Uh, thank you, Dorothy. It's uh, nice to be here. So, um, you're so you're a, a Virginia guy. You went to UVA. Uh, I went to uh, UVA. Um, but let's go back before sure. that. Where in Virginia? How rural? How urban? Because Virginia, you never know. Sure, um, I'm from Richmond, uh, and. Uh, my family's been from Richmond for a while. Oh, really? You're a Southern Belle. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, 
Uh, I grew up in all the finest, you know, sort of old, you know, aristocratic uh, southern traditions. They have a great hotel there, right? In a very yeah, the Jefferson. I stayed there a couple of years ago. The, the staircase was the basis for the staircase in Gone with the Wind. Oh, I didn't know that. And they used yeah. to have alligators in the lobby. Wow. Yeah. Re- really? Yes. By design. Uh, by design, yeah. Whoa, and I yeah, very famous colonial people stayed stayed there and anyway when i was reading the history well, I mean, but look. you can't throw a, a, a stone in richmond without hitting history right so um you know surrounded by history growing up i guess yeah yeah, yeah. well that so uh so what was your childhood like uh was it food oriented or n- not no it wasn't um although that's up for debate um but i was uh suburban richmond you know uh, upper middle class um a, a, a loving mother and father, uh, um, a older sister, a younger brother. This sounds dysfunctional. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, ex- From a chef. I mean, I hear so many stories, but that's that's wonderful. Well, the thing is, is that what I'm kind of uh, in, in for, my informal study of the chef industry leads me to believe that a lot more boring middle class folks are entering uh, into you know the ranks uh, you know a la Christina Tosi and Missy Robbins and you know Michael Anthony and all those that's right isn't Christina from Virginia Christina I believe uh, well went to UVA like me yeah okay maybe that's the connection Um, but I believe she's from Northern Virginia as well yeah she might be yeah yeah she's been on the show but okay so tell me so what it sounds like a bucolic childhood oh yeah absolutely it was um uh, just me sort of being uh, an iconoclast uh, nerd in, in school. Uh, what in, were your favorite subjects? Uh, history. Oh. Um, Aptly. Yeah, I, I, would, I would finish my work in fourth grade and I'd just read the encyclopedia for fun, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, Any sports in your past? Uh, a lot of swimming. Oh. And a little dabbling in, in basketball and, and tennis and, and whatnot, but just, just a lot of swimming. Were you a big music guy? Yes. Yes, I was. Um, I uh, played trombone uh, all throughout high school and middle school. Were you in the band? And college. Yes, I was in the band. What is that like to be? You know, being a Brooklyn girl, we didn't have any bands. And certainly I would never have the figure to be a majorette. So what was... Uh, I I disagree, Dorothy. (laughs) But but, uh, what what, what was it like to be in the band? Kind of, kind of as popular culture, you know, depicts it. You know, you, you're, you're told that you're a band nerd, so you are one. You know, which is nice because you've got a whole bunch of ready-made friends that that you can count on and you make music with, and are going to be friends for the rest of your life. Really? Yeah. How uh, how many days a week did you practice? Um. Oh, like like six days a week uh, during during the high season because you know you're doing marching band, you know, and and. Uh, Did you like? How do you march and play the trombone at the same time? Very, very carefully. <laughs> and you have to read the music too. Uh, no, you memorize the music. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you get used to it. It's it's um. I mean, it's it's a lot like culinary in that you don't think that you can put that knife that close to your fingers, you know, and and chop you know tiny slices of garlic at a thousand RPM a minute, but but you can do that, you know. And normal humans look at look at. You know, trombone players and say, how do they do that? How do they know where the positions are on the slide to make the correct notes? And it doesn't matter. You just you, you learn and you, and you do it. And it has to become second nature. It becomes second nature. It just becomes muscle memory, which again mm-hmm. is you know just like cooking. That's true. So, and I guess the brigade, the team, the hierarchy is there. There must be a hierarchy. In uh, the there band. is a hierarchy. There are there are uh, you know um, 
there are sous chefs, you know, or section leaders. There are, you know, there's the executive chef. There's the there's the band director. Um, yeah. Did you play some exciting places and marched in? N- no, um, but once I get to college, I kind of have an interesting history. Oh, um, well, UVA is you know interesting in itself. Well, uh, UVA had a had a alternative kind of band where we. Uh, um, we didn't just march up and down. We we um, would form the other school's SAT score on the field, you know, and and then <laughs> yeah, and, and then then play some uh, song you know entitled like "You're So Stupid" or something, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. Whoa! How many? So how many people in the band in high school? How many people in the band uh, in college? Hundred in high school, hundred and twenty in college, and 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 they're my best friends. And in my nine-year undergrad career at UVA. Um, Your parents were indulgent. Uh, my, my parents forced me into cooking because they didn't want to pay for nine years of undergrad for some reason. I, I, I can't stand them. I hate them. Unbelievable. Wait, what do you mean they forced you into cooking? Well, I mean, because they didn't want to pay for nine years of undergrad at UVA. So? So I, I had to pay for the second half of my college. I said, why did it take you so long? Uh, I lacked focus. I didn't. You know, I was busy screwing around doing extracurricular stuff, you know, playing in the band, writing for the uh, daily student newspaper. Um, so those a- were good things. Anything, you know, anything but going to class. And I was the coolest guy who got invited to all the parties. Wait a minute. So you went from nerd in high school yes. to coolest guy in college. Something clicked. I mean, and not, not, not the coolest guy, just the guy that you wanted to invite to the party because he was fun. Okay. So tell me what kind of fun things. Was it humor? Was uh, it, it, it was pranks? Humor. And, and the humor part comes from uh, being the middle child, you know, because you have to do something to be noticed. Uh huh. And and my dad, my dad was funny. My dad had a solid basis of humor. He, you know, he, you know, made my mom laugh, and that's you know primarily what my role was as well in the family was to make mom laugh. And um, she was know, a lucky woman. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, to have you know, they say humor is the thing that a marriage should be based on. So. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. The good ones. So, but was it, do you have a quick wit or a, um, is it, uh, you know, you, you could tell good jokes or? The, this is, no, I, I have, I've developed good uh, comedic timing. Uh-huh. Uh, I discovered this uh, when I was introducing somebody uh, on stage for, like, I, I was uh, president of some, you know, of some do-gooder thing in high school, and I realized I was making people laugh just through the pauses, and I realized this is this is a thing. This is something I can pursue. That is a real talent. Um, but I, I, I grew up again under the influence of my dad, but also I, I um, you know, wrote a humor column in high school. Uh, I've, I've written you know flipping pieces uh, ever since uh, you know for uh, like Food Republic and, and other outlets. Um, do you enjoy writing? I do enjoy writing. It's um, I'm my own harshest critic, but when when the words come, they come, and I, I find that uh, I'm still able to do it. I mean, that was one of my three careers that I've had was oh, a, is a, it as a as a journalist, yeah, um, and as, as kind of a PR copywriter. Uh, I did a little speech writing on the Hill. If you get to really, my, if you get to my political career, yeah. Okay, well, all right, we haven't gotten there yet. So, so tell me, uh, other than taking nine years, how old were you? Thirty when you graduated? <laughs> um, oh, geez, uh, I started. Uh, let's see, I started as an eighteen-year-old in nineteen ninety-three. I graduated in two thousand two, so that makes me twenty-eight or twenty-nine, I guess. And what did you major in? Um, history. 
Oh. Uh, with a kind of concentration in constitutional uh, theory and studies. So you started cooking while you were in college. I started right? cooking in college because to make just to make money. Uh, well, first, and again, you know, the elder band folks were. Th- this is when Food Network was just starting out. Oh, in you know, nineteen eighty four. Three. Is that when it started? Nineteen eight. Uh, nineteen ninety three. Ah, that's better. Yeah, exactly. Ninety three, ninety four. Which is yeah. when I entered college. Nineteen ninety three. Ah. And if and if we sort of take an informal sort of uh, viewpoint of of the culinary revolution in the U.S., it starts in the '90s. Let's just say. Well, know? I I'm older than you. It really started. Um, and you have a New York sense uh, point of view, but for, from from the boonies. From know, the okay, from the boonies. From, from the Richmond. From the Richmond, it started in the '90s with the Food Network. Yeah, exactly with the Food Network and and mm-hmm. and, and and sushi, you know, being available and oh and all sorts of you know I can there's Afghan cuisine I didn't even know that existed. Wow. You know, but I was learning it quickly because these uh, you know, these uh, upper classmen that I looked up to. Um, you know, we're experimenting around with it. You know, they're doing Thai dishes. You know, one that were, cooking or eating. Cooking. Oh. You know, there there were marinades. There were there were uh, interesting Thai dishes. Uh, there was like I, I recall learning ants climb trees, was one of them. Um, oh. Yeah, and and I tasted fish uh, sauce for the first time. Yeah. And um, and so cooking was partially an interest for me, but also uh, it was to impress uh, the coeds. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're not the first chef to have said that. <laughs> And so uh, was that the other reason you stayed so long? So did you get a job in a restaurant? I got a job in a restaurant. Doing what? I mean, I was just making, you know, experimenting around cooking at home, and I needed money. And so I applied. How much money did you did you have to take student loans? Did you did your family say you have to pay all of it, half of it? Um, It's tough for me to remember, but Mm -hmm. it it was it was easy on me. I was lucky enough to where you know they withdrew a lot of support, but they didn't they didn't let me just you know ha- hang in the breeze as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was so, how many hours a week were you working? Uh, Thirty five hours a week, and doing a full load, and, and, and not doing full load yeah. because I actually <laughs> I entered college with a whole bunch of AP credit, and it still took you nine it, years. It still took me. Nine oh, years. I could understand I your parents' gra- you know frustration. I could there. have graduated in three if I'd really wanted to. But no. You were having too good a time. Yeah. Yeah. Not too good of a time. And and so I would take two classes, you know, a semester to, to finish up. And and some, some you know, semesters. Well, let me, let's go back to that. You know, in some ways, I don't think that's a bad thing because you have an arc of life. And, you know, there's only one period of your life where you're really footloose and, you know, fancy free. And you can explore different extracurricular activities and... Uh, I mean, I have kids, and I think that the extracurriculars are sometimes more important than the the foundation structural courses. Well, yeah, and my parents and I are able to look at that and laugh now, but it wasn't so funny back then. <laughs> when you're paying, <laughs> when when they're going, what what is this idiot doing? You know, he's he's very talented, he's very smart, um, and and he's just not applying himself. Did you have ADD or? Oh yes. I'm well diagnosed. You know, so many chefs mm-hmm. have ADD and and maybe are dyslexic a bit. And I don't think that has, you know, I think th- there's a real um, benefit to that. There's there's this curiosity that comes with ADD, you know. I, f- learning to focus is important. But people who are too focused, they need a bit more curiosity. And so I, I've found this... Um, very, you know, you were you were on the right path in some ways. It's it, I recognize now 
that it's been a benefit to my career. I'm able to hyper-focus on some things, and I'm able to sort of make intuitive, creative leaps in the other because my brain works a little differently. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. How do you, where does creativity come from? And it doesn't come from high structure, you know? Um, it, it takes going outside the lines. It does. And in some ways, you know, people that came before me, some of, my, uh, uh, some of the people I've learned from, uh, Nils Norn in particular, um, you know, taught me how to think about food. Our, was he the VP way. of culinary when you were here? He was the VP of culinary when I was here. Yeah. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was destined to work for, for Marcus and for, for Swedes. <laughs> for, for longer than I anticipated. A dark and brooding group. <laughs> oh, no, Fatality. no. They're, 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 they're not. They're, they're fun. Oh, they're fun. I, but I used to they joke with about... Niels, and I'd say, come on, come on, you know, lighten up because I can't. I'm a sweet. No. <laughs> you know, I was... But anyway, let's get back to you. So, so nine years cooking. When did you start taking cooking seriously? Um, well, I finally graduated after kind of cooking my way through um, at some of the kind of university joints. In the, Did you do in anything at the graduation ceremony that was memorable? Uh, n- no. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, I did. Um, uh, because I was a reporter, uh, there was this um, well-known bagel shop in, uh, in, in Charlottesville that um, I believe the summer of my second year I reported on, because I was like the lone news writer left for the summer, uh, as being bought and, and um, they were renovating a place on, on what we call the corner to, to open up, okay? So this was in 95. So seven years later, um, it had been renovated. It was ready to go. But because there was a divorce between the bagel shop owner and his wife, um, there was kind of a freezing of assets. So <laughs> They so froze the bagels. <laughs> they, they froze the bagel shop. And everyone wants these bagels. This is Bodo's bagels I'm talking about. And um, so for, for five, six years of my life, you know, me and thousands of other students would walk past this bagel shop with – the little green lights on the cash registers, you know, saying, hey, I'm ready to go. And we can look in there and see, there's all the equipment. All they have to do is unlock the door and maybe, like, turn on the water or something. But for seven years, it sat there. In and, a divorce. And, and, you know, probably because of a divorce type uh, thing, as I'm led to believe. And so I carried a big sign that said, uh, I've been here for since, since you know, 05, and, uh, uh, or rather, you know, since 93, and I still can't get a bagel on the corner, you know? <laughs> And of course, uh, the, the band wore the silly vests, so I also wore a, you know, my, my, my silly vest with, covered with buttons of you know, various uh, ACC victories that we had and whatnot. Were you happy to graduate? Or would you have taken 12 years? And, um, yeah, I was happy to graduate, uh, bittersweet in a way, but um, kind of like you don't want to celebrate your birthday sometimes. So sometimes you don't want to celebrate graduating after nine years. You'd rather just kind of leave, so did leave you, town. So did you know where you were going to go and what you were going to do? I, I wanted to use my degrees for something. And I knew I had this great journalism background. And I, I still wasn't con- convinced that cooking was a legitimate career. Uh, you know, I mean, it was never part of my career path uh, that I thought. I thought it was just something, oh, yeah, I can play around with, I can do. Um, so I went to tr- I tried to apply for uh, some public relations firms because – I was sick of reporting the news. I wanted to, you know, make the news. Um, of course, when I graduated, uh, PR firms weren't hiring, so they said, get your butt over to a, a political campaign. Oh. And so um, uh, it, it wasn't that hard. Uh, there was an election on. There's always an election in, in Virginia. Um, 
and I you know, just applied to be a campaign intern. And uh, it was actually for Eric Kanner, who used to be a majority leader. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I worked on his first congressional reelection campaign. And then from that, I did a statewide attorney general's race. I, I did a uh, campaign for Rob Simmons up in Connecticut. I did a Philadelphia mayoral race. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. What did you like about that? Um, well, I can say now that I hated almost everybody I, I met. <laughs> I mean, I was good at, at convincing people, and um, I've always been, unlike some chefs, and we can get into this, a uh, people person, and I've, I've learned to use that as an advantage in my career. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I used that same kind of people skills, intuition in politics, but I, I just kind of didn't like anybody you know that was around politics because everyone was so gung-ho about everything and i was just sort of a kind of a you know moderate uh just so just because they were enthusiastic or were they militantly enthusiastic and does that mean uncompromising or not being able to see the other side yes uncompromising and not being able to see the other side and i always could right well that that's a it's called growing isn't it i mean you know um um, was that a bipartisan observation? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And do you think that the country's even gotten more oh, yes. like that? Uh, we could do. I could do a full interview on just sort of what I feel uh, is going on with politics these days, and I blame a lot of uh, echo chamber uh, social media for that. Mm. And that you know people only hear what they want to hear. Um, they're convinced that they can get where they're going through you know, sheer force of will rather than compromise. Mm. And unlike when there used to be more limited media outlets mm. and more vetting of sources, more kind of a gathering of consensus before reporting, mm. now it's just a rush to you know, say whatever the heck you want and some people are going to believe you. And that's not good for, uh, hmm, I don't want to sound elitist, but for... for uh, Low information in, voters. N- well, or uh, for an enlightened democracy. Right. You or, need, or for that. You need, you need, you know, kind of honest reporting on both sides of the issue. But we're going to take a break and come right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back. You're listening to Chef Story, and this is Dorothy Can Hamilton reporting from ICC. And actually, you can go to chefstory.com to download this recording if you want to. And um, today, my guest is Ed Hardy from Washington, D.C. And we're having a very interesting conversation, but we're going to get off politics um, and get back to how you started your professional career and um, 
you know, because you had politics, you had journalism, you had history, but what drew you into this profession? There was a campaign that didn't pay me. Oh. I was working um, on an uh, international presidential race for uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. There was an expatriate named uh, Dr. Oscar Kashala who was running for president at that time. In the Congo? In the Congo. And you were working on that campaign? Uh, and I was working on that campaign. In the Congo? Uh, in... <laughs> Um, that's a movie reference. Uh, in the Congo, um, I, uh, he was uh, a, a Boston-based U.S. doctor, and so he was hoping. Um, it just doesn't sound reasonable to Americans, but uh, being foreign or from the U.S. in the DRC is not a bad thing. Uh-huh. Um, and, and in fact, so he thought he had a viable campaign, um, but unfortunately, uh, he overestimated his fundraising skills and mm-hmm. um, wasn't able to pay me. And all of a sudden, I needed to pay rent. Mm. So it was back to cooking for me. Mm-hmm. Something. Um, so at that stage, how, how accomplished a cook were you? Um, I, was, I was a decent line guy. Um, I always had speed. Um, and I went back to work for Illegal Seafoods. Oh, yeah. Uh, on K Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in fact, it was Rich uh, Volante. Oh, from Restaurant Associates? No, no. No, uh, that's Nick Volante. Uh, I, I might be mispronouncing his last name, but... Uh, yeah. Um, who was uh, the executive chef of all of Legal Seafoods at that time in, in Oh, FCI yes, home. he's a graduate. Yeah. Yes, right. I, I believe I said it. Right? Yes, you did. Okay. You did. I was... Uh, my my head was going to a Roger Berkowitz who owns <laughs> it, but no, that's right. And um, so I went to, back to work for Legal Seafoods. Uh, well, I went you know, back into cooking. I had to quit politics altogether. Because I had to pay the rent, and you were up in Boston. Oh, I was up in uh, D.C. Up in D.C. I'm sorry. Oh, even even though the, the campaign was uh, for, for the guy was up in, in Boston, Boston. I and was legal seafoods is out of Boston, so yeah, yeah. okay, no, no, no yeah, forgivable mistake, but uh, okay. Um, so I went back into cooking. At that time, I met a young lady who was uh, going was considering going into cooking school. Uh huh. And so it kind of was a natural move for me to go in to 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 go work for Legal Seafoods in D.C. and also consider going to French Culinary Institute. And going which was to, in New York. Which so was in you, New York. You were going to have to leave. So you had already been cooking. Why did you, you think you had to go to cooking school then? Um, that's a good question. And if I would advise myself now, I'd actually say no. Because I, I had several years of, of, of pretty good uh, experience. And I would have just gone an internship route. Um, but... Um, uh, there was sort of a graduate studies money promised me from from the uh, you know ever loving parents. Oh, so that became my graduate school, um, and also uh, you know the program looked great. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it, it made sense. Uh, it, it was it was kind of an easy decision at the time. Um, so did you learn anything? Yes, yes I did. What did you learn? I can't recall right now. <laughs> Okay. Did you have bad habits? Um, I still have bad habits. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of you know the ADHD mind is is that you know I, I recognize I have bad habits and I just need to employ people around me that are able to you know help me with you know keep organized you know. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I always had was just a load of extra speed. Uh, I mean, I, I could you know memorize thirty tickets on the line. And I wouldn't panic. And mm-hmm. and I would I would get food in the window, yeah. And so, so no matter you know, even if I was working sort of halfway messy, and 
I don't know if I should bring this up on the air, but like um, I've heard that Marcus wasn't you know exactly the cleanest guy back when in the day either. But um, you know, um, <clears throat> how can I put it? Uh, people always found a reason to employ me. Right. Because I always had speed. So Niels was here when you went to school? Yes. All right. And then, and ap- then after school? After school, I, uh, and during school, I worked for uh, USHG. Uh, I was at the Modern, and, and um, I was at... Um, with Gabriel Cruza? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and he's fantastic. And also with, with Meg Grace, who was um, uh, an FCI alum herself. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, now she owns the Redhead, and I, I'm yes, sure she's right. doing wonderful stuff. She's... Yeah fantastic and um it was it was great to learn from both her and and, and gabrielle mm-hmm. and i was kind of employed in the in the mezzanine kitchen kind mm-hmm. of playing traffic cop for all the operations they have going on there oh and just trying to expediting um n- no but sort of uh um you know we, we'd share huge stock pots and stuff uh-huh. and we'd sometimes divide you know stocks and then there's family meal that we had to look after for you know for 300 you know folks uh-huh. On staff, and then there was the the staff. Uh, there's the uh, MoMA, uh, you know, staff kitchen as well. Wow, that's a so huge it's, it's all operation. The, all the loose ends kind of fell, kind of fell to me a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and so, how long did you stay there? I uh, stayed there while I was working, while I was in school, so for nine months. Uh-huh. And my biggest regret is leaving USHG. Why? Um, because look at the growth. Mm. You know, I could be executive VP of Shake Shack right now if I <laughs> if I had made a couple of correct moves, but I'm not. Yeah. But that's okay. Can you go back? Uh, I tried to several times. And what happened? Well, in New York, um, and also like for example, I'll reference the fact that I tried to apply to you know uh, the Dynex Group a lot. Mm-hmm. That's Daniel Bolu. Exactly. Um, once you have a certain amount of experience, you become unemployable. Really? Yes. Because they don't want some guy that, that you know, has uh, Samuelson experience, and they're going to try to you know, you know, make him mm-hmm. into a sous chef you know, for, for the Dynex group. They, they want to promote from within. Uh-huh. So you know, once you start working for a guy, you, you continue working for a guy. Now, that might have changed since I've been here, but it that was my impression. It has changed. It has changed. Yeah. I think there is such a demand in the industry for trained personnel. I get calls all the time. got a huge call yesterday for sous chefs. And we said, you know, uh, and we place, you know, I don't know if you talked to Gina here, but we, we place as many graduates every week as we do people coming out of school. And we have a huge, huge demand for people with five, ten years' experience. So Interesting. It is, yeah. And I and I said to the person calling, we don't have any sous chefs. Maybe we have to start thinking about a course to take people, you know, to give them that kind of extra knowledge on what they have to do to be in that uh, leadership com- position of sous chef. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the order making 101. You yeah. know, <laughs> reorganizing the walk-in right. 101. So, that, so that's really so, – so you know what? Um, so you went to work for uh, Marcus after that? I went to work for Marcus after that. Samuelson, Red Rooster? Uh, yeah, at, at Aqu- he was still at Aquavit at the time. Oh, he was? Yes. What was that kitchen like? Um, and, of course, that was the second incarnation of Aquavit. Well, I know Niels. Uh, well, Mark. Well, there was an original chef there, and then Marcus became the chef. Right. Um, and, and are you talking the, about that incarnation? Right, right. But then they moved the Aquavit location. Oh, to another location. To another yeah. location. Yeah. Right. Um, that was fun. Um, uh, it was it was half Swedish staff, half uh, Americans. 
uh, um, a great amount of female chefs that I have the utmost respect for and are still friends uh, with till this day. That was great. Was that because that was a Swedish um, thing that there was no I have no gender idea. prejudice, or was Marcus just empowering? Well, it was it was Johan Svensson who was doing the uh, hiring. I see. And and I have no idea why, but he you know would hire a, you know, a fair amount of uh, female chefs. And did it change the tone of the kitchen? No, because some of them were like really foul mouthed. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, but it, it was a great experience. Uh, Swedes were fun to work with. You know, we had milk drinking contests. You know, and really, uh, yeah. What kind? Describe a milk drinking well, contest well, for me. First off, you know, Swedish cuisine is is three things. It's 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 herring. Well, four things: you know, herring, potatoes, milk. And, Sugar. You know, and, and and salmon and dill, whatever. Oh, I mean, salmon and dill. But they, they sweeten things a lot, too. Yes, and they sweeten things a lot, too. Um, so you, you get to learn about mixing sugar and salt, which is... Uh, um, and you get to learn about curing and pickling. Yeah. Um, foundations of my cuisine to this day, actually. Really? Yes. Um, um, so uh, we had a milk drinking contest, basically, where... You know, if you could drink a gallon of milk in under twelve minutes, uh, then then you get like you know you win a gallon of herring. <laughs> um, I got I got three quarts in, and you know I don't want to say what happened after that. <laughs> it's just not possible. How many how many contenders were there? Oh, um, about about every about every two weeks or so, we'd get a new person in. Oh, and they and then we'd say, oh, I bet you can drink a gallon of milk. <laughs> 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 Which makes for great entertainment. You know? All right, all right. Must be Swiss. I mean <laughs> Swedish. All right. So uh, let's get back to your journey on uh, getting to be your your own boss. Um, so I was in New York, um, and I, you know, um, I worked for Marcus. Then because I was getting married, I, I you know, wanted to kind of have some time to plan the wedding. So I, I worked for Restaurant Associates uh, in the ING private dining room. Oh. Um, how, how did you like private dining? Um, was that a nine to five job? It's it's, it's kind of like a nine to five job. It's a mm. seven to seven to four job, but um, it was good. But I needed more excitement, and I knew it from the day I started the job. The, the money was good, you know, the hours were great, but it, it just wasn't me. I mean, and and having the, the corporate overlay mm-hmm. of restaurant associates. I mean, mm-hmm. they do a great job, mm-hmm. but it's just not me. Yeah. I, I need yeah. I need to express myself. I need to, you know, um, uh, you know my, my dad was his own boss, you know, and maybe it's just in my, my DNA, but I, I didn't have tolerance for, you know, people you know, just just obeying the letter of the law and saying, here, here's a manual, you know, go by the manual and you get rewarded. Remember we were talking the about the ADD and the creativity yeah. and coloring outside the lines? Yeah. And the lack of yes. Guess. All right. Coloring out the, outside the lines is exactly. So. So it was a nice interlude, but um, you know, after I got married, um, you know, I wanted to, to leave, you know, that job, and so I, I left. I you know worked the appropriate amount of time, I believe, eighteen months, and, and I left, and that was when I ran into a hiring problem where I was trying to be you know sous chef or lead line cooks for other folks. How many years out of school were you that time? Uh, probably about um, two years out of school at that point. Oh, okay, and, you know? and so so the sous chef was. Was out of your reach at that time? Um, it wasn't out of my reach. It's just kind of what wasn't in the fit for the groups that I wanted to go to. And yeah. you know, Dynex in particular, I love Danielle Ballou. He's fantastic. <laughs> um, so, but the thing is, uh, Red Rooster was opening, 
and and Marcus was hiring and and you know I mean I was like okay crap uh, you know shoot let's 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 do this. <laughs> I like it up there. Oh no, I it's like great! It's great up there. It's a great vibe. Yeah. Uh, it was it's just interesting mix of people and and you know kind of a I, I love the buzz uh, of the opening too. It taught me a lot about how to you know, manage a brand and and how to how to kind of. What'd uh, you learn? Well, first off, I learned a lot about cooking from Nils. But second off, I learned about how to how to be your own brand from Marcus. You know, wear the orange colored pants and and the funny cap. Um, you, know, you be available for 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 interviews. Don't don't say no to anything. Uh, you know, put yourself out there. Uh, don't be afraid to. You know, how can I put this? Construct an image mm. and, and go with it. Mm. Was, what did what did Niels teach you about the cooking on that? Uh, he taught me that uh, you know uh, it's got to taste like something. You know, <laughs> whatever you do, it's got to taste like something. He uh, was the most underappreciated chef by the community. He, he, he's, he's, a, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's yeah. a genius. Yeah. Um, you know, he taught me to keep it simple, stupid. Uh huh. And 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 it, and yeah, these are my, the two rules I tell folks that work in my kitchens: uh, keep it simple, stupid. Um, and and it's got to taste like something. Yes. Yeah. So those are two good rules to have. Yeah. 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 And, and easy to remember. Yeah. And, and it's funny because he, you know, um, I was a great admirer of Dave Arnold and Wiley Dufresne and 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 cooking issues and 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 Nils, but I was catching Nils post, you know, fooling around with molecular stuff. Where, yeah. Where it was it was time. They to did rust- a lot when they were here. Yeah. Yeah. But it was time to rustic stuff up. It's time to just go back to simple flavors. Yeah. And and that that's fantastic, and that that influences my food to this day. Well, actually, that's the the arc it should take. I want to make a delicious this, and I will use a molecular or an avant garde technique as opposed to I will use the technique to come out with a delicious something. And so it's kind of, you know I think that's the big debate about molecular gastronomy in a lot of ways. Absolutely, and I fall on the the. the yeah, the, you like the delicious first. Delicious first, if and you, how do you get there? Right, if you want to use a technique or two, that's fine. But right, but it, it's it's about the flavor first. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we got to we got to ask about these trucks and how you got to be your own boss. Okay, welcome back. You're listening to Chef Story, and uh, we're at the ICC in New York City, and my guest is from Washington, D.C., Ed Hardy. Ed Hardy, why do I keep, that's, you know, everyone thinks, is that the designer? But you're better than the designer. <laughs> you're Ed Hardy. You know, I, I was um, first page of Google for a while because of my, my writing, and then he showed up, and, <laughs> and I'm slowly clawing back, though. <laughs> Do people uh, mistake you all, all that time? All the time. Do they ma- mistake him for you? Um, yes. Have you ever met him? Um, I know people who know him. Uh-huh. 
And he, he's actually just a retired like Navy guy. It's, it's, it's not really him that's causing all the trouble. Uh, it's a Christian Audinger who did the Von Dutch as well. Oh. So, so it's kind of a, a designer who takes his name and his, a couple of his tattoos and runs with them. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, so how did you get to be your own boss? And um, when did you know that's like time? Well, I've kind of since square one, I've wanted to be my own boss. Mm. Is that entrepreneurial or is it just independence? A little bit of both because mm-hmm. I realize that I'm a skilled chef, but mm-hmm. I don't have the skills of, of some other chefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of the, 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 the uh, you know, bang your head against the wall dedication mm-hmm. uh, and some of the mastery of flavor that other guys do. But what I do have is enough other good qualities and experiences that I, and, and personality where I can use that to my advantage and possibly, you know, be a chef personality slash brand slash entrepreneur. And I think that's a bit of honest self-assessment that served me well because, I mean, here I am. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Proof is in the pudding. And um, so, so where, where did you start with your own business? How did you finance it? And what, what were the biggest challenges that you didn't expect? Um, I'd been saving money for just such an occasion. Um, and uh, the, the uh, well, let's put it this way, the opportunity pre- presented itself. Um, uh, my partner at, at my last restaurant, Quench, which won a couple of awards in Maryland, um, was, was cl- selling the business and closing it uh, in, in anticipation of working on a new project in, con- in conjunction with the expansion of the Metro line to Dulles. So this this created a couple of of plazas and new metro stations, and he was working with one of the developers of the metro station to kind of have a sort of a a, you know Grand Central Market sort of thing, you know, uh, where uh, there'd be live entertainment and music and and you know a newspaper stand and coffee shop and and twenty other things, you know, all going on on top of this metro station. Mm -hmm. And his idea that he planted in my head was, well, um, you know you should make a food truck and put it right next to the metro station and I'll make sure you get a sweetheart deal. And I said, that sounds great. Um, and he said, you know, there'll be 17,000 riders walking past your food truck daily. And I said, that sounds wonderful because if I can capture 1% of them, that means that I'll have more money than I know what to do with. So I, I made a food truck. I made a food trailer. Uh, I invested, uh, call it 20,000 of my own money and I, I still owe dad 20,000. How did you know how to do it? Um, I didn't. Um, did you buy a food truck fully decked out? No, nope. I, I bought a trailer. Uh, then I took it to a guy who does know how to do it, and he you know, lined it with steel, and he installed an exhaust and a generator and a water tank and a gas tank, and I, I sourced the kitchen equipment from various uh, sources. You know, there's eBay, there's Craigslist, there's there's... Uh, uh, you know, uh, restaurant stores online, you know, discount shops and whatnot. And I, I got the equipment, and he knew how to put it in. And you know, three, four months after I started, I have a food trailer that I designed. So you didn't say, "Oh, I have this passion to have a food truck, and here I'm going to make it happen." But it was the business opportunity, and you said, "Hey, it sounds like a good good place to start." It, yes, absolutely. I, I wanted to go into some kind of entrepreneurial thing. So 
this seemed like the easiest way to do it and also the lowest financial risk. Right. I uh, Was it? Yes, because signing a lease for a restaurant means you're in for hundreds of thousands of debt. Right. And I'm just not... Uh, my dad's an accountant. I'm, he just didn't raise me that way. And you could also sell off the food truck. It was an asset. You can sell it off as an asset. I could sell mm-hmm. it off today. I'd be, you know, you know, be out two thousand dollars on the whole venture. Right. So, did you have to rethink cooking because of the space and the? No. Be- oh. Because this food truck is is over equipped. We've got two fridges. We've got a sandwich. Uh, line we've got a steam table we've got an oven we've got a griddle we've got a grill we've got a deep fryer we've got wow and space to move around in boy a lot of chefs don't have that in a restaurant exactly (laughs) Uh, i I joke with my friend uh, ian who's at the shack in 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 stanton um you know my my kitchen's bigger than his (laughs) and he's he's got a restaurant with parking spaces and everything that's right so how did you conceive the menu um well and and it's funny i want to circle back um you know, I thought the food truck moment was gone, was was over. You know, I don't, what year is this? This this is just 2014. Just 2014. Yeah, I thought the food truck moment was over. I thought it was, it, we're on to the next, right. You know, big thing. And I certainly thought bacon was over. Um, but I crowdsourced the name. Bacon's never over. Yeah, that that's what we're learning. <laughs> yes, um, bacon's never over. I crowdsourced the name on Facebook, and I got all my creative friends to you know submit entries. Um, you know, Ed's discount crustacular shrimp wagon was uh, not there. Not there, and barely edible wasn't there either. So, uh, you know, bacon and Ed's it was. Bacon and Ed's is great. So, one of your friends came up with that. Yeah, one of my friends came up with that, um, and so we went with that. And it, so it's kind of bacon themed, but not really. It's sort of whatever we want to do, and it's kind of breakfast themed, but not really. So we do lunch, we do breakfast, we do we do dinner. It served us well because so you have just the one truck, just the one truck. And how many how many orders do you put out a day? Uh, at our peak, uh, we'll do 150, 200 a day. But but that that's at our peak. You know, uh, it averages a hundred a day for lunch. And if we're at a brewery or a vineyard or something, maybe we'll maybe we'll go up to two hundred people. Uh, we'll do weddings. Um, I'm lucky because unlike other food truck owners, uh, we had a we have a good web presence and a good Google score, and we and we get calls from people asking us to do events. Oh, really? And that's, so, that's where the real money is. So, Roy Choi started the the you know the the real trend, and he was doing you know here will be he was taking it around and being at different locations, and it was hip and it was cool and kimchi tacos. What? You know, tell me about the food. I, I really don't know the food truck business. And what, you know, is being hip and cool where it's at or just being good and delicious and people know where to find you? Um, Roy, let's put it this way. I, I believe in my heart of hearts that L.A. is a, is different mm-hmm. because of whatever different zoning or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just it's a different town. Mm-hmm. Um you, and it already had a food truck culture. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's it's a different beast altogether. It has a car culture. It has a car culture. It has a food truck culture. It's yeah. got a you know driving everywhere culture. Uh, it's spread out. Um, right. It, it right different different culture. Um, and same thing. There's a different food truck culture in New York City. There's mm. a different food truck culture in D.C. and Northern Virginia. As far as I can tell, and it all depends upon what local regulations that you're dealing with, and 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 
Are you regulated to death? Uh, I f it feels like we are. Um, and I understand some of the regulations. You can't just have food trucks pulling up to every restaurant and, and you know. Yeah, and they're, and they're complaining that they're paying real estate taxes. And, exactly. And sh well, you must have insurances, too. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. And, well, and something I want to touch on is that, is that I, I realize a lot of my colleagues, uh, contemporaries out on the road, at least in D.C., aren't fully up to code. Um, they don't How do they get away with it? I don't, I don't know. Um, probably because there's not that many inspectors. In, in New York, they wouldn't get away with it because there will be We're inspected to death. Yes, right. we are. <laughs> but, I mean, I carry insurance. I pay my payroll taxes. I, I yeah. you know, have my health permit up to date. Uh, I have my fire department. Uh, uh, How many employees do you have? Um, I have I have one main uh, kind of protege. Uh, his name is Evan. He, Evan, he, yeah. He, he helps me with the web page. He, he's responsible for a lot of the social media stuff. Um, he's, he's, you know, 20 years younger than me. So. And a good-looking guy, I will, I will say. He's here. Yeah, yeah he's, he's sitting in the studio with us. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, I mean, and it's, 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 it's great because we're also good friends now. Yeah. He's worked for me for three different restaurants. And oh. that's important to have loyal people. And I try to inspire loyalty. How different is it working from a food truck versus a restaurant? It's very different. To how so? Um, well, you've got direct you know, contact with the customer. And, and even if you're sitting at a chef's table... I mean, this is closer than the chef's table. True. I mean, the people are literally in your kitchen. They're, they're sticking their, their, their heads, you know, into your waist level at, at your kitchen. You know, you don't, it doesn't get more intimate than that. Um, and you sometimes get, you know, instant feedback. Whereas, you know, in a restaurant, you're not going to get instant feedback. You know, it's going to go from the waiter to the manager to the, to the maitre d' to, to you or whatever. I mean, they'll say, hey, you know, these fries are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Which we don't get a lot of. We, we get, hey, the sandwich is delicious. Oh. So, um, and, and also, uh, there's weather to contend with. I mean, sometimes it's snowing in your dining room. You know, sometimes the exhaust fan is bringing in snow, you know, into your truck while you're trying to cook. It's very different from restaurants. Weather must make, play havoc with your bottom line. It plays line. havoc because it'll yeah. affect your personnel. It'll affect your systems. It'll, it, you know, it, it affects, you know, how many people are showing up. Do you just some days close up and not... Yes. Yeah. I've, I've learned that some days it's not worth going out. Like a hurricane, you wouldn't. Yeah, hurricane, you don't go out. Blizzards, you don't go out in. Do you have air conditioning in the truck? We have air conditioning, but it doesn't the matter. Door. Yeah, because the windows open and the, the heat and the. Yeah. It, it's going to get hot in there, no matter what. And you're just. But Is like, it cold in the winter? And it's cold in the winter. And it, the floor gets icy. That's different. If it's below <laughs> 20 degrees, I've learned you just don't open because your battery's going to go, your generator's going to, you know, the viscosity of the oil is going to be, you know, wrong. Um, Are you all cash? Uh, no. Uh -huh. And in fact, uh, you know, uh, I, I can mention it. I guess you know, Square and, and yeah. readers like it uh, very much. Are, you know, is is the king of the industry, right? And uh, we probably do seventy percent credit versus thirty percent cash almost. Really? Yeah. And and what about ordering? Is there any state of the art ordering system? Uh, some trucks have that, but I don't see on the, iPads or something. Yeah, I don't. I don't see the, the need for that. Would you ever go back to a restaurant? Do you oh, long for a restaurant? Oh, yes. The food truck life is not su sustainable for, for me. I mean, I'm getting older. What are the things you like about the food truck, and why do you want to get back into a kitchen if you do um, uh, in a restaurant? I, I, I love the food truck. It's nice to be able to you know, have sunshine on my back and you know, to kind of you know, have a drive to a new place as part of my, as part of my work. But... In the long term, it's not sustainable. I mean, I'm, I'm inhaling fumes. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, 
jacking a trailer, you know, up and down, you know, causing myself probably, you know, repetitive stress injuries. Uh, and I've been cooking for a while. And whereas some executive chef jobs allow you to stop cooking, this has me cooking more than I ever have been. Oh, true. Because true. I, I'm, I'm my own dishwasher and my own HR and my own, and my own, you know, lead line cook and my own, you know, fry guy and, and, and my own. Do you have even a seat in the kitchen? Uh, oh yeah, we have a couple stools. Yeah, but but we we never sit. I mean, if yeah. if if we're open, hopefully we are servicing you know uh, one or two people a minute. You know, and we're we're you know making money hand over fist, and it's all about you know, you know putting the maximum amount of food out in the minimum amount of time. What hours do you work? Uh, it it depends. Uh, last week I worked uh, one shift from five to nine, and then I worked a shift from uh, eleven to one thirty, and then i worked a, a night shift from five to nine and you know and, and sorry the other was an am shift i mean it's wherever people need food and call me i i, I come right and that includes you know weddings or or office you know parties or, or whatever the case might be so um which which doesn't make again for you know good quality of life because my sleep schedule is, is, is screwed up right you know there, there's no hey i can get off work i'm gonna go to the gym and i'm gonna go to the gym four days a week because uh i mean that, that can't be done i've got to run to the restaurant resupply i've got to run and get propane i've got to run and get gas i've got to i've got to then i've got to does it make sense to have two or three trucks it makes sense to have a couple trucks yeah but it also makes more sense for me to now that i've developed some sort of recognizable brand to to go ahead and get a brick and mortar um because that saves on you know the commissary kitchen uh, cost, and that also you know allows me to have you know more than just two employees. Uh, yeah, very, because what do you things. do on sick? Somebody gets sick. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So the the but the larger the so you're getting forced to grow. Yes. Um, if I want to survive, I have to grow. And in fact, I, I, I'm sure that a lot of people you've you've interviewed say you know the the. Real profits for a restaurateur uh, starts in the second or third restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, and I'm just I'm operating one and I'm making some money, but I'm not making you know, you know tons of money. How important is marketing and PR to you in the with the truck? Absolutely important. It's more important than you than anyone can imagine. And I'm lucky that I uh, you know, have a protege that that understands that, but also that I understand it myself. Right. And, and, able so you, to do social. and you have to be the PR person, the I, social media person, yes. the car mechanic, the, the truck mechanic. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, the uh, food I, purveyor. I, yeah, I, I found out about you know batteries and oil viscosity and stuff that I don't know about. So um, if your kid wanted to own a tr- food truck, what would you say? I would tell him absolutely not. Really? Yeah. By the way, uh, my kid is named uh, Jacques. Oh, Jacques. After after his grandfather's uh, Jacques Pepin and Jacques Torres. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I haven't told him that they're grandfathers yet. but. Uh, oh, my gosh. I was just with them last night. Jacques Torres got the Legion of Honor yeah, from the French government. What a great guy. Fantastic. Two fabulous guys who have wonderful senses of humor, I will add. <laughs> so he's probably, if he, he got your humor gene, you picked the right name. Um, so that's interesting. So you're going to tell little Jacques not to have a, would you tell him he could go in the restaurant business? Um, if he wants to, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. But I would advise going into the restaurant business. It's it's a hard business. It's terrible. So why are you in it? I'm uh, I'm lucky to have survived. I still have all ten fingers and, and toes. Um, I you know I'm not that scarred for some reason. Uh, you know I've, I've let alcohol you know get a, a, have a chance to get its addiction into me because 
you know that's sort of what chefs do but and, and i'm lucky lucky for me i just didn't have the 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 uh the brain dna you know to to have an addictive personality yeah um but so I, what, why are you still doing it um because it makes people happy and, and it makes me happy and i like talking about food and people like talking about food and it's nice to be able to go into a room where i'm surrounded by phds and people who work on the hill and you know, people who have mds and jds and well what do you do well i'm a chef you know that that it's a great feeling and it's a little just private little joy that i have but isn't that you know i love the chef community I, I really do. I think we have a very special community of nurturers. And I, I talk to a lot of, you know, students, and they they love the concept of family food, you know, in a restaurant. There's a real bonding. It's not just a team. It's not just an office where you have coworkers. I think, you know, in a kitchen, there's something more intimate going on. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I love the people I work with. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not working with that many people now. Yeah. And, I mean, I look forward to... Employing more soon, hopefully, mm. and, and expanding. And because if I don't expand, I mean, I'm going to wear my body down. I, like I said, I've been lucky, this, you know, so far. But don't you think you had to go through that rite of passage before you? Came? Oh yes, absolutely. Everyone has to. And you have to learn all that. You know, you, you've learned from Marcus. You've learned from, yes. uh, you know, all, all your various experiences. And now, you know, you're very well known in D.C. and beyond. Is it easy to get investors if you want to open a bricks and mortar? N- not yet. I feel like I'm just at the tipping point, Dorothy. Mm. I, I feel like, uh, which is why I, I love doing interviews like these, mm. is um, I, I'm getting a lot of good press, but just because uh, you might appear on a Food Network show here or there or, or um, uh, you know, you get written, a, a couple nice paragraphs written about you doesn't mean that that translates to money. Mm. And, and and I've got a good business sense, and I'm, I'm you know, um, I'm on the lookout for it, but I'm still awaiting angel investors uh, to, to come, you know, help co-sign a loan you yeah. know, for that brick and mortar. But that, yeah. that is just around the corner. Yeah. Uh, Have you done a business plan? Um, pretty much? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the height of my busy season right now. Yeah. L- let's put it this way. The first year of owning the truck, uh, you know, we made a very, very small profit. This year we're uh, on pace to, to, to double it. Oh, good. So, so. You know, with the business now rolling along, <laughs> that's a t- horrible pun, um, you're, um, next year I'll be able to kind of concentrate on, all right, well, let's... Okay, so that's a, actually, you know, a three-year span per sure. truck. So you'd rather do a bricks and mortar than get a second truck? Um, it's a good question. How about both? Not at the, not at the same time. Not, not at the same time. Yeah. No, but, but like, well, now that I know about the trucking industry, uh, like, I, I know where to find a discount truck. Instead, yes. instead of spending, uh, I know some people spend one hundred and forty thousand on their trucks, which is ridiculous. And I, I spent forty thousand. I've got a great looking truck, yeah, or a trailer. But I mean, uh, I, I know now. Is it a good way for someone to enter the industry? Because as you said, you don't have to sign that long lease. Absolutely you don't, not. You don't have a huge staff. Absolutely not. Because I was lucky because I knew a bunch of cooking techniques and a bunch of problem solving techniques uh-huh. that I use every day yeah. to solve problems on the truck and produce good food. Yeah. And you, and I learned how to produce good food over a course of you know, 12 years of working in very 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 good restaurants. Yeah. You know, so anyone so someone with no experience. No experience, they're not going to have all that that 12 years of experience that I right. that I learned about problem solving and how to make something taste good even if you don't have say a salamander or something. Right. You know? 
So well, no, you I know, we're getting getting to the end of this interview, which makes me very sad. But I want to I want to ask you a couple of things. What about this Guinness World Record? What, um, tell me about this. This is unverified, but uh, my secret hobby is that uh, I play trombone for uh, various b- uh, college bands. Yeah. Even though I'm approaching forty, so as a band member. So I believe I hold the Guinness World Record for most halftime, most different halftime performances with different bands as a band member. Because I played for Rice, I played for Stanford, Are you allowed I played to for do that? Dartmouth, I played for UPenn, I played for Yale, I played for UVA. Are they allowed to have ringers like you in there? Um, well, it, it's, it's a tight little knit community. So, yeah. oh. you know, once, once I've done one and done two, I, I kind of get some notoriety and... So you go to the hill. Do you tell them you're a trombone player in yes. band too? Yes. And they're all jealous. I'm yes, sure. I'm, I'm. I'm one part chef, one part still trombone player. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Does it score me girls? No, I don't know why. Whatever. Well, aren't you married now? Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. Oh. I'm, I'm recently divorced. Oh. Part partly to do with some of the stress of. Yeah. Of cooking, I think. Yeah. But you know what? Let's, uh, to put it, uh, you know, I'm in New York here, which is a pressure cooker of a city. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of jobs are high pressure. I know what what we have in the food industry are very long hours and um, heat and physical stamina as well. So, um it's true. It's true. But you're still doing it, right? Yeah. It's, um, but, um, okay. Now, we were talking earlier about surprises. Uh, yeah. Well, finding out something that was, you know, a little more surprising. And so I'm going to ask you, tell me something about you or your working history that nobody knows and could be surprising, that people would be surprised about. Mm. Nothing comes to mind. Um. Well, how about... um, You might have to edit this. Let's see. Um, Yeah, we're going to edit this out. Because the most surprising thing is it was my career in politics and my... You know, I mean, that, that's the... That, that's your background the, is, yeah, your background is uh, not the traditional path to It's to not the cooking. traditional path to cooking. And also that you weren't so into food when you were a kid. I, I wasn't. In fact, mom will tell you, uh, at one time I was just eating bananas and like rice, and that was it. <laughs> and yeah. now you're into bacon. And, and, and Right. And now, now I'm curing and smoking my own bacon, it's, yeah. it's, and, it's, and, I, and I love new food experiences, and I look forward to being able to travel. Yeah, well, you're going to have to get a bigger staff for that. (laughs) That's it. Hey, that was okay. All right, well, let me tell you, Ed, it was really great to have you here today. Uh, What, you remembered something? Yeah, I remembered something. Uh, I am working on uh, The Kitchen, the musical. I'm I'm implying finally, yeah. Where where on stage will be kind of like the Blue Man group where, you know, the... uh, 
you know, <laughs> the, the sous chef enters and, and starts the Oh, what a great and, idea. Right, and there's the banging of pots Wait, and Wait, you may and, not want to share this. You want me to edit this out because you don't want you, anyone Dorothy, stealing Dorothy, it. It's such you, a good idea. No, 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 no. That's okay. Uh, it, it's out there now. Okay. Uh, if anyone beats me to it, that's fine, but um, I'm, I'm working on it. All right. So, so be warned. I'm bringing, well, it, I'm bringing it to Broadway, and then D- I won't have to work DC's so hard. DC's great off-Broadway to you know test it out. So I'll be there next year, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you, in between uh, opening the new restaurant. Uh, I, you, you get dress rehearsal tickets, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you today for being on the show and coming up for DC and for doing a demo today for the students here. So. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our producers and to Robin Cohen and Heritage Radio. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.